You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Centers, Pastors Scott and Tina Witwan. Praise the Lord. Go with me to Psalms 119. Psalms 119. I'm going to read from the Amplified version of the Bible for this scripture here this morning. It says, I rejoice that your word is one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but your law do I love. Seven times a day and all day long will I praise you because of your righteous decrees. Great peace have they who love your law, and nothing shall offend them or make them to stumble. Father, we thank you for the opportunity. We thank you to open your word, your law, your decree, your statutes. For in it is life and health to all our flesh. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you guard, guide, and direct this word, this, this logos, this written word, and make it revelation or rhema to us. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. And I'll start this lesson today with two quotes from secular gentlemen. The first one, hard pressed on my right, my left is in retreat, my center is yielding, impossible to maneuver, situation excellent, I am attacking, attack, General Frederico, or um, uh, Ferdinand Fouch, World War I. The second quote, it's the enemy is in front of us, the enemy is behind us. The enemy is to our right and to our left and to the left of us. They cannot get away this time. General Douglas MacArthur, World War II. See, no matter how bad a situation seems, your perception and the way you approach the situation will be determined by your perception of who God is and what God will do for you. See, these, these two men had ingrained in them from their military upbringing that being in an impossible situation didn't mean it was impossible. Being surrounded by problems did not mean it was impossible. They wanted to take advantage, full advantage, for finally they had all of their problems in one place where they could take them on, head on. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, Paul writes, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, life rages on all sides of us. The world is in turmoil. Fear of a virus has paralyzed a portion of the entire world. I mean, think about that. Yet, in Psalms 119, David says, 
the Torah, the statutes, the precepts, or the teaching do I love. As believers, our assurance, our peace, and our attitude in life should flow from these precepts. All these precepts contained, it, contained inside the anointed Word of God. That should be what, what guides us. That should be what directs us. Is, is this the Word of God? Not modified. See, we don't rip sections out we, we don't like. You know, we don't, we don't come up to something and, and go, well, you know, you know what, I, what, I, what I face often is, is, you know, God wants you rich. God wants you prosperous. God wants you blessed. Now, I've been a business guy most of my life. And so, you know, many times I've had struggles with people who don't, don't believe God wants them to do well. Well, in order to do that, you've got to take and rip most of the pages out of this thing. Because Jesus taught more about money than he taught about prayer, more than he taught about salvation, more than he taught about any other subject, he taught about money. And the Old Testament teaches more about God's financial responsibility than it does anything else. It talks about the kingdom, the kingdom establishment. But there's many people that say, well, well, you, you, you did read in Matthew where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, Pastor, God wants wants people to be poor and be humble. No, the world wants you poor. The world wants you ineffective. Because if they can keep you poor and ineffective, then you have no influence. The world doesn't want the church to have influence because it doesn't understand us. To them, we're a bunch of loons. They don't understand how the invisible works. They don't understand about a people who believe more in the invisible and its reality than they do the visible. Knowing that we, as, as born-again believers, our citizenship is in heaven. We are merely passing through this life. I love what Jacob said when, when, when he, he spoke to Pharaoh and, and, and Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? He says, the days of my sojourn. He said, I'm Pharaoh, I'm just passing through this life. The days of my real life haven't even begun yet. See, the world doesn't understand that, so they want to keep the church ineffective. But as believers, we rely upon this. The precepts of God, the teaching of God, the law of God. Go with me to, over to Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read a bit of scripture here this morning. Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start in verse 22. Read through verse 31. You can find this over in Matthew chapter 6 too, if you, if you so choose. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, nor about the body or what you'll even put on. See, life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? 
Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. One translation says the pagan nations of the world seek after. And your father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God. And all of these things shall be added unto you. See, we get so worried about everything as people. I mean, it's just, it, it's the battle of the mind. We get so worried about everything. But how are material things, things that are part of this life, how are they added unto us? Is it through worry? Is it, is it through taking on the cares? See, the way that we obtain them is by not worrying. Because why? Worry is based in fear. Worry is based in fear. Whether it's fear of not having enough food, whether it's fear of getting sick, whether it's fear of not being able to, to provide for the basic necessities for you and your family, or it's the fear of the loss of your life. Don't worry, it says. Take no thought for your life. Because whatever is not of faith is fear, doubt, unbelief, or it could be encapsulated in the word sin. Whatever is not of faith literally is a separation from God. Romans 14, 23, if you need scripture for it. Why? Because God doesn't worry about anything. And he didn't make us to worry about anything. He made us to be people of faith. He made us to be strong. In faith. But it's we who have to, to control the thought process, the thought gate. 2 Corinthians 10 5. 2 Corinthians 10 5, it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, whether it's a worry, whether it's fear of something, whether it's a bad report, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? It means everything should be filtered through the Word of God. Everything should be filtered through the Word of God. Find God's Word on it. Find His Word on it. Because His Word is infallible. You... Me, we're fallible. We can foul up all the time. God's word is infallible. It cannot be fouled up. It's as true today as when it was first written. It, he changes not. And he's not a man that he can lie. So every thought needs to be held captive. It needs to be possessed by faith. So when worry 
tries to come, you possess it by faith. You captivate it. You hold it captive. You don't allow it to have time to get inside, for you to dwell upon it, to make it into fear, to allow it to, to grow, to allow it to sprout, to allow it to become something that overtakes your life. And there are people who are so worried and so much in fear they've allowed it to take their life. Now, I'm not talking about using wisdom. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to just go jump into a fire pit, you know. But I'm not going to be worried about the fire pit. I don't go stick my hand in a bucket of rattlesnakes, right? I mean, God gave us wisdom, Right? But that doesn't mean that I'm going to be afraid as I'm sleep, sleeping in my house that a rattlesnake's coming in. I'm not going to take any thought to allow worry to captivate my mind. Romans 12, 3, it says here that God has dealt to each person a measure of faith. What does that mean? That means you got the same faith that I got when you got saved. It means that I got the same faith that the Apostle Paul got when he got saved. And he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He gave me, God gave each one of us a measure of faith. So we have what we need to hold thoughts captive. We have God's faith. We have his word. In Mark eleven twenty two, 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Or as one translator wrote, wrote it, Have the God kind of faith. See, faith and fear are absolute opposites. You cannot walk in faith and walk in fear. Perfect example. I mean, you would think that, that if somebody starts out walking in faith in the presence of Jesus, who's right there in front of him, that, that, that even if something happened that caused their alignment to shift a little bit, because Jesus is there, it's going to be unaffected, and he's going to keep you walking on the straight and narrow, right? I mean, that would be sensible. That's, what re, that's kind of what religion teaches. You know, God will handle it. God will take care of it. God will do it. You know, and God does do it, but you know who he does it through? He does it through us. There's a lot of people out there in churches, they're waiting for God to do something. And God's going, I'm waiting for you. You get out and do something so I can move. Perfect example is Peter. Here comes Jesus walking on the water. Peter says to Jesus, hey, let me come out there and walk with you. And Jesus says, come, man, come on out here. Peter steps out of the boat and starts walking on the water. Why? Because he had his eyes on Jesus. Then what happened to Peter? He started looking at the waves. He started looking at his problems. He started looking at the things that were around him. He saw that he was surrounded by water. There was water to the front of him and water to his rear, water to his left, and water to, to, to his right. But see, Peter didn't think about keeping his eyes on Jesus and saying... I'm going to attack this thing. No, he started to sink. If there was ever a time in biblical history where Jesus, you would have thought just being in the presence of Jesus would have lifted somebody's uh, path up on top of the water. 
But no, see, when fear came in, it affected faith. See, when faith was in operation, he walked on the water. And that's the way it is in life. The only thing the enemy has that he can use against you is fear. It comes in all kinds of different forms. Like I said, it comes, it comes in the form of worry. Well, how does the form of worry come in? It comes in in doctor's reports. It comes in in letters from the IRS. It comes in in legal documents. Worry comes in all kinds of shapes. It comes in news reports. It comes in television broadcasts. It, 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 they, they start talking about how many people are dying around you. You know what's really interesting? I'm 54 years old now. In 54 years, I cannot consciously remember a period of time, in those 50 years, let's just say, that the news media told me about the three and a half million people that die every year and kept playing it over and over and over on TV. But I tell you what, we've had 120,000 people die from coronavirus or 150,000 or whatever it is. And they play that over and over and over. And yet... In this country, just in the United States of America, three and a half million people pass away every year. They die from heart disease. They die from strokes. They die from diabetes. They die from complications from surgery, misapplied mis, uh, prescriptions. They die from suicide. They die from all of these conditions, and you don't see it every day on the news. But now all of a sudden... They've got something that they can put you in fear with. That's why 2 Corinthians 10.5 is so important. I'm not saying there's not a virus. I'm not denying that there's a virus. I'm not denying that the virus makes people sick and people's bodies react to it. And people who already have issues that, that, that are, are you know, significant enough unto death that it doesn't impact them. The flu does also. But I tell you what. They are sure trying to put a world into fear with this one. And I don't have any problem with taking precautions. I don't care if, if individual businesses want us to wear masks and whatever, whatever, you know. I don't have a problem with taking wisdom. The only problem is historically. Now, I know that, that, in a, that we don't like history. I mean, we, we might, but I mean, as a society, we don't like history much anymore. Because history proves truth. Things that really happen versus what you can sell people on that happens so you can get them back into fear again. But I don't remember a time in history when they've ever been able to stop a virus. So what they're doing is not stopping a virus. What they're doing is dragging this thing out. Well, we're gonna have, we're gonna, we'll have a vaccine. They've had flu vaccines for decades, and still 30, 40, 50,000 people a year die from the flu. What am I saying? We've got to hold every thought captive. We've got to hold every thought captive and realize that his word is where our peace is going to come from. His word is where our center will be found in. 
Great peace have they who love thy law. See, David had a faith in God that still rings the chimes of what is possible for those with a heart after God. So two questions for you to think about today. What tragic event in life, in your life, is still affecting you? And then what did David do to combat fear and life's troubles? Because I just know people, that I know that there has been something that has happened in your lifespan, and you probably, from time to time, realize that the enemy can use that is a little way, a little way to wedge something into your life. But see, we need to identify those things. Because if we can identify them, then we can crush them. We can identify them, then we can stop them. And when the fear tries to come, we stuff that hole with faith. Psalms 9 is said to have been written as David pondered the death of Bathsheba's son. You remember that David sent Uriah out to die, took Bathsheba as his own wife, and they had a child together. You can see the story in 2 Samuel 12, but, but as David was lamenting this, along with the continued effects of the opposition from his foes. I want to read parts of Psalms 9. Hopefully, Eric, you can follow along with me. Psalms 9.1. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all of your marvelous works. Verse 8. He, the Lord, shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall administer judgment for the people in uprightness. Verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in the time of trouble. Verse 13. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death. Verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forgot God. 19 and 20. Arise, O Lord. Do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves too, but men. Selah, peace. See, David was struggling. And when he wrote verse 9, he said, the first thing out of his mouth, I will bless you, O Lord. I will praise you with my lips. I will sing your praises in this place. And then he went on to, to, to explain his torment and agony. And then he said, Lord, those who oppose me, let them be brought low. Let them, Lord, fall. You know, the scripture also says, a thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, but it shall not come nigh me. That's from Psalms 91. See, David under, got, a, got a revelation of God's grace. I guarantee you that we all go through problems at times. David faced some tough situations in his life. But David approached the problems in his life with praise to God. David relied upon the promises. Your law do I love. He relied on those promises 
the promises of God. God put his whole, I mean, David put his whole trust and very existence in the hands of God. See, there's always a process. You know, David didn't just wake up one day and decide he'd be a mighty man of valor. He didn't just decide one day, hey, look, I'm going to be a person of valor. I'm going to be a person of integrity. He took regular action and made himself a man of valor, a man after God's own heart. In 1 Samuel 17, 11, I want to read this because I want to talk a little bit about David. Probably finish today and then we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more next week about David. It says, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. See, this isn't the first time a nation has been in fear. I mean, in David's time, Goliath stood in the valley and cursed the armies of Israel. And it said they were greatly in, fe in fear. Fear had paralyzed the nation, but for a person of faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Your faith is developed. Israel needed somebody who was a faith. Saul had stepped out of faith when he disobeyed God and lost the kingdom. He was still the king, but he had lost the kingdom because of disobedience. He was trembling in fear. Here is the mighty warrior of Israel trembling in fear, along with all the armies of Israel. And one guy standing down in the valley saying, come kill me and we will serve you. And yet, the nation of Israel trembled. But if we go to verse seven, or chapter 17, verses 34 through 36, we, we get to drop in on a conversation that David is having with Saul. Because David cannot understand why the nation of Israel is standing in fear. Remember, David was now serving as the armor bearer for Saul. So he was at the battle. And it says that David, because of his responsibilities and his diligence, would go back to take care of the sheep for his father, Jesse. And then he would come back to the battle. Can you imagine? They'd been here for 30 days. David gets there with Saul. The armies are aligned in the valley. Goliath is down there cursing at the armies of God. And after a couple days, David's just like, well, this is stupid. I'm going to go feed the sheep. So he takes off. Week later, he comes back. There's Goliath. He's cursing at the armies of God. The armies of God are still up here. They're trembling. They have no new plan. David hangs around probably for a couple more days and then goes back to feed the sheep. Well, why not? There ain't nothing going on here in this, ba this battle. So David comes back. And he gets in an argument with his brothers. You guys know the story. We'll cover it more in the next couple of weeks. Get in, arm, in, a, in a little bit of an argument with his brothers. And he, and he starts to have a conversation with Saul. And David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. 
And when a lion or a bear came in and took the lamb out of the flock, I went out after it, and I struck it, and I delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard. I struck and killed it. Our servant has, has both killed has killed both the lion and the bear. And you see that big fat dummy down there in the valley cursing us? He's going to be just like one of these. Seeing that he has defied the armies of the living God. See, David saw what everybody else saw. But David was ready to attack. Why? Because David had become a man of valor by serving as a shepherd. Thy word, he said, he said in under Psalms 119, I think it's in verse 16, your word have you hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimony is one who finds great riches. See, David understood the word of God. He understood God. He had a relationship. He had a personal relationship with Yahweh. He understood him. And he said, hey, look, if nobody else is going to go do this, I'm going to go do it. I'm so sick and tired of listening to that replay every time I get back from feeding my, my, my father's sheep. Who does he think he is defying the armies of the living God? We're encamped around about, I'll attack. David had a perception of God that was bigger than the giant Goliath. God's word had become bigger on the inside of him than the mountain on the outside of him. When you see your problems, do you see a 60-foot tall problem? If so, do you see a hundred foot tall Jesus in your life? What giants are you dealing with in life? We all face giants. Whether it's your kids, your job, your business, your bills. Whether it's your health, a virus, or just simply fear. But there's an answer that can be found in Psalms 119. And I want to read it this time from the message version because this is just simple, plain, modern-day English. It says, David says, I'm ecstatic over what you say, like one who has struck it rich. I hate lies, can't stand them, but I love what you have revealed. Seven times a day I will stop and shout your praises for the way you keep everything running right. For those who love what you reveal, everything fits in place. No stumbling around in the dark for them. See, David had a realization of who God was. And out of that, his trust flowed. That's how he, he, he was able, I mean, his son was able to write, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He, he saw it in his father. Acknowledge him, and in all your ways he will direct your path. So as believers, we have security. 
When we're born again, spirit-filled, we are empowered. We have everything we need to overcome. Your law, I love. When his law becomes, when his word, when his statute, when his law becomes so real to us that it's bigger on the things that we face, we will be able to overcome everything we face. No exceptions. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. Or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.